right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of Halal Cartels again and again, baby. Hit after hit. You've got your man Samir Nassim here. Yeah, you got Gabe Pacheco in the house. Uh, that's Gabe Pack One on Instagram. Thank you, everybody, who's been following and uh, actually posting um, screenshots of yourself listening to Halal Cartels and putting it in your stories. We love that. So this week we've actually had quite a few people screenshot themselves. Yeah, and that's uh, that's been really helpful because that's driven some new listeners into the equation. And uh, but I really appreciate that. That's a huge thing. Uh, it's so easy to do, but it's very impactful. Uh, also, it helps to know that y'all are enjoying the podcast. I'm really, really happy to hear all that. Yeah, we love all the DMs as well. Uh, shout outs to our listeners in the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was telling Gabe there. Uh, well, there's credible intel that somebody who is a uh, regular listener to the podcast is in the intelligence community. And I just think it's super funny because I know this person and it all just kind of, it got pieced together over the past couple of weeks. Sure, sure. Obviously, I'm never going to blow your cover or whatever. And I feel like you're doing analyst work anyways. You're not really a field agent, but you are not in the country. This is so funny, man, because I had two friends uh, in the early aughts. And one of them started working for uh, NATSAC, National Security Boy. And the other one was working for BuzzFeed. And uh, so at the exact same moment in time, they were dealing with the internet as it existed. And my friend who ended up working for BuzzFeed, brilliant dude who uh, was an ancient Greek and ancient Latin scholar. And, uh, but then when he got to BuzzFeed, all of his intellect was basically uh, driven and focused into making listicles. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. For cats. So yes, dude. You have these brilliant people undermining the credibility of journalism and creating online garbage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by like, it was like a race downhill from thoughtful investigative journalism to fucking cat listicles. And they're like, I just wanna let you know. We have extremely high standards for whom we hire to work at this place. Uh, I don't want anyone who hasn't come from an Ivy League school, and I need them to be trained in the classics, and they need to understand credible journalism and fact-checking. Okay, now that you're here and you've killed everyone on the way up, and you finally got a job here, just want to let you know that you're going to make listicles about cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so ruthless. Yeah. Less is more. It really was like the journalism uh, season of, of, of uh, The Wire, you know, where they were like, we don't even want stories, Dickensian tales of life in the big city. We want to see pictures of felines' butts. We need, oh yeah, can we get that meme of a cat playing keyboard like over and over and over again? We love that. That's what we need. <laughs> so he's on one end of the table. Uh, and then my friend, who got a PhD in mathematics, and it was completely unemployable after that, was uh, quickly recruited by uh, the national security uh, state because that's what that's those are like the only jobs that you can get when you get a like yeah. uh, advanced math PhD. It's absolutely fucking true. It's like that or um, a wealth or something in the yeah. finance space or a baseball team. <laughs> yeah, like uh, maybe I guess you can run a casino in uh, Vegas. Right. But yeah, he was like eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in his parents' basement for like two years, getting real lean and desperate. And that is the moment that Uncle Sam like sends you a message on LinkedIn, and they're like, "Hey, would you like to work uh, at a analyst uh, head secret base, a headquarters, perhaps in I don't know wherever like Edward Snowden worked." Yeah, and so that's so he comes. They're both sitting at the table with me, and my friend who worked at BuzzFeed is saying, "Oh, don't worry about data harvesting. Um, what's the problem with uh, with a shoe company, Zappos, let's say, knowing what size you wear or what your searches have been online? Why don't you want targeted advertising for yourself? It's benign." And uh, my friend just starts getting gloomier and gloomier in his cups, the Natsack dude, and he's like, oh, no, the data's being harvested for evil reasons, and I should know, because I'm the one harvesting it. <laughs> Slow <laughs> sip. <laughs> so don't, don't believe these, like, uh, tech-utopian free market enthusiasts when they say that uh, all the data mining is 
is not really a big deal. Yeah, I mean, let's go down a list of things that are actually happening that are directly related to that conversation we just had. Um, there's Palantir, that's Peter Thiel's company. Sure, not is, not Palindrome. Yeah, the the Charlie Kaufman movie. <laughs> is that it? Charlie Palantir. Yeah, Palindrome is also uh, uh, what's his name um, from New Jersey who did storytelling and happiness. That's exactly right. We won't even edit this out. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I hated that movie, by the way. But Charlie Hoffman, another crazy person. Um, kind of love him, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, going back to it. So, Pound here, right? Peter Thiel's company, what are they doing? They are selling draconian concepts to law enforcement. And they're trying to find a way to combine all the intel that comes across uh, any agency. So, if it's the FBI, now they have a direct link to the local police, to the whomever, right? And one might think, oh, well, what does all this mean? Well, they're using facial recognition software and mass surveillance tools through video yes. to feed these systems. And what's really happening right now is actually turning into essentially minority report, where there are places in America right now where the local police are using bizarre AI softwares that are predicting that someone will commit a crime in the future, and then the police are going and harassing them routinely. Yes. It is, uh, it is, what is it, thought policing? Yeah. It is predictive. You know, in uh, I've seen on Twitter this predictive texting sort of joke or meme, and it's like, let's find out if you're racist. Uh, go in your search and type in, you know, black people are dot, dot, dot. Because, like, the joke is that... Whatever comes up is the thing they're predicting. <laughs> is what you think, you know? So, uh, Matt, like, just think about that. Like, your Google search history... But instead of it being something on the laptop, is almost something that's like on you. Like you, it's in your phone, and the cops can just put on their Google glasses and, and they're like, like "Oh, this person, uh, <laughs> Samir, uh, Sa- Samir's most recent searches, like weed is, yeah, <laughs> and it's like delicious, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> a study aid, yeah." Uh, yes, so whatever it would be, you know? Wow, that's so interesting. It's also... For um, me, Adderall <laughs> is, is a must. A recreational must. <laughs> <laughs> that predictive search thing was amazing. I remember the first time I ever saw it happen in real time was mm-hmm. um, Dan LaPatton's bedroom. He screamed from his room. He's like, yo, you gotta see this. This is crazy. I run into his room and he goes on Google and he starts to type a search and the thing just starts pulling down predictive search. Yes. And um, I was just blown away by it. I was like, this is 10 years ago or whatever it is, 12 years ago. Uh, but then I remember there was a joke about this where someone typed in, why won't my parakeet? And it <laughs> was, why won't? And the first thing that came up was, why won't my parakeet eat my diarrhea? Do you know about this? This is a real no, thing. No. Oh, so this is a real thing. If you typed in why won't, the predictive search would be an amalgamation of what a ton of people were searching, right? Yes. Oh, well, a lot of people are asking the similar question. Let's just present it as an option to them. That's how it used to be. It used to be less personalized. And um, why won't would admit, why won't my parakeet eat my diarrhea? <laughs> so, like, who's feeding their parakeet diarrhea? Or, or was it a goof that someone working... I Google put in there. Yeah, yeah. Just a little inside joke uh, at Alphabet headquarters. Yeah. And then going back to the other thing, uh, there are NatSec people that are actually embedded in all the tech companies. So there's a good chunk of people in every big tech company that's basically extracting all the data from the back door and feeding it to the federal government however they need to, making sure that there's... Um, flaws and bullshit that they can access whatever they need to and then just keeping an eye on things and um i feel like today was a huge layoff at twitter but it would be really interesting if elon fired all the like real people working there and just left all the mad sec yes moles sure sure well it's uh very funny like that this joke that um 80% 80% of the people that are in the clan, like the KKK, are FBI informants. 
<laughs> I'm like, well, that is definitely a joke because the FBI is doing nothing about white supremacy. Yeah, so. well, and the other twenty percent are just like off-duty law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> We're like <laughs> excited to be there. <laughs> Come on, let's burn something down. Yeah, and other people are like, ah, not today. Yeah, sorry, buddy, not. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be really hard going undercover in these white supremacist organizations uh, if the other cops know that you're a cop. <laughs> wait i know you wow. we went to, we went to the academy together <laughs> so funny uh they're like let's go burn out a church yeah no uh, i gotta pick my kid up from soccer today's not a good day for that but trust me i want to do that as well yeah but please buddy i don't want you to get arrested friend yeah. <laughs> totally i think that's more realistic yes uh where you know how they look out for their own, so they're just like, well, we do know what's going on, but we're not telling anyone because of the blue wall of silence. So. Yeah, well, I was just uh, listening to another podcast that will go on name for now, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it is, uh, it's about um, the uh, cops, the gangs in L.A. Right? Oh, yeah. Because there's huge gangs in L.A., and yeah. like they really started exploding out in the early 1970s. Uh, one of the gangs was called like the Little Red Devils. Mm-hmm. which was uh, deputies in East L.A. And uh, there's just, not only is it a blue wall of silence, but it's just literally police officers are also in uh, gangs. Like, yeah, their own organized crime organization. Yeah, yeah, so you're like the Sons of Anarchy, but imagine all the Sons of Anarchy are sheriffs during the day. It's insane. They also would get tattoos. There's the Vikings, which is a white power gang that still exists within the LAPD. They get Viking tattoos. They were called out for it. In order to get that Viking tattoo, you have to kill somebody on the street. Sure, and, sure. Um, which, I mean, they're already doing, so it's like they probably have a few of those tattoos. But uh, they were called out on this, and then they just mocked it. And the police commission was also in on that gang. And so they basically were like, fuck off. We're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> right. I think about this all the time. Like, in L.A., they got the... Uh... They have this Fort Apache insignia that they use. And you hear that, like, there was a movie, I think, in... Uh, they used to call uh, uh, the Bronx Fort Apache as well. But all of this is just, like, holdovers, when you think about it, to, like, uh, Indian wars. Like, wars against Native Americans, right? To, to call a place, like, Fort Apache is really, like, uh, connotating, like, a small minority of white soldiers fighting off brown hordes. Right. Right? So if you see a cop who's, like talking about Fort Apache or, like, wearing some sort of Fort Apache insignia, it is directly a uh, reference to uh, white supremacy and, like, subjugating brown hordes. So that even, like, you know, we're, like, so precious about, like, swastikas, rightfully, but, like, in our own country, something like a Fort Apache reference is, to me, uh, like a North American swastika. 100%. Yeah. So. And that's the approach that they're taking. Well, it's exactly what you said. The connotation means we're here to rule all these savages. That's the way cops see the mass population that they're quote-unquote in control of. I was thinking about this on our morning walk today because I saw a number of cops do insane things while I went on like a mile and a half walk. Sure. And I was just, how are they getting away with this? Well, they're the cops. Who's going to stop them? But they're just blowing through stop signs using their lights to cut through traffic, but then just turning them off. Uh, I mean, small traffic things like that, that could lead to someone getting hit, which happens often. And um, I thought about what makes people want to do this and why they work in the field, and it's because it's all about control. They're horny for control, and they don't have it often. They're the loser from school that everyone mocked. (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the one movie that made me want to be a cop is The Bad Lieutenant, starring Harvey Keitel. <laughs> oh, that's the new Nicolas Cage update to that? That would be so nuts. <laughs> they're both they're both bananas. They're yeah. both bananas, yeah. And, uh, abs- the, 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 <laughs> like, okay, I'll be a cop if I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just like, and, I mean, the fact that I like am saying that, though, is like he is a total monster in this movie. But the reason that he comes off as like it's like a it's like a wish for like somebody who's powerless who wants the power is he's just like able to it's the same reason that people like Tony Soprano, you know? Right. Living vicariously through this character. He's like 
you know, doing coke after dropping his kids off to, like, their Catholic school in the morning, and then, like, just degenerately gambling and, like, raising uh, his debt to the highest levels. But throughout the entire day, all he does is not solve crimes, uh, get free drinks from the bodegas, uh, steal money, and uh, do random drugs with different women. Yeah, and just, like... safe houses across the city. Exactly. And that's his whole day. Yeah, so I watched that movie and I was like, oh, nobody can... Also, after you watch that movie, there's no way that you can think that police are good people. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> there's a, a man, if you go on Reddit, you will see some of the craziest things. That movie, I thought was so hyperbolic <laughs> and insane, and then I was like, oh no, this is actually... <laughs> yeah, the comments are all like, yeah, it seems regular, normal, <laughs> just another day. Yeah, a lot of people, there's one clip of, um, these cops forgot that they had their body camera still on. They went into a house and robbed it blind while they were searching it. They found literally nothing illegal, and then they left with all the stolen stuff. And then months later, it took months for the police department to even look into this, um, but they had reported all the stuff that was stolen. And it was like a MacBook. An iPhone charger, uh, just anything of value. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and the, the whole body cam is them rummaging through it. Oh, damn, score, an iPhone Wow, charger. dude, I would like What's to take that, thing? that body that? cam footage and then uh, put it on a TikTok and then put, like, uh, on the TikTok the price of all the items. <laughs> so, like the, like, the body cam footage and then itemize, like, MacBook. Like a total? iPhone 12. Yeah. All for a grand total of cha-ching! Yes. Right? Yeah. So, uh, I watched a body cam thing on Twitter the other day, uh, yesterday, in fact, and it was crazy because there are two cops, uh, it's their, both their body cam footage, the way that we should be filming this podcast with exactly. two cameras, and one guy's body camera is watching the other cop knock on uh, an apartment door, and it's like after midnight, and he's like gently tapping, like, not doing the cop knock but like a kind of like a suspicious knock. And then the cop moves out of the keyhole, uh, out of the peephole frame, so that whoever's behind the door can't see who knocked. And the other cop is standing in the corner. So when the guy opened the door, the cop in the corner shoots directly into the door at an angle though. So he misses uh, the person opening the door, but like by centimeters. <laughs> And it's then, like shaves off some hairs. And then they both jump in, grab the guy, and throw him on the ground. They're like, how are you feeling? The guy's like, I'm scared, bro. I'm scared. Which is like the natural response. But these cops did not uh, say who they, they, they didn't make their names like present. They didn't say we were cops. And then they didn't give the dude a chance to do anything. Like he opens the door and they're immediately guns blazing. And this is what they catch on, the, on their own body cams. Right. Normally they turn them off. Honestly. Right. When they're gonna do something they turn them off because they maybe these were rookies yeah someone told them you have to keep your body cam on and like, all right and then after that someone is like why are you keeping your body cam on for <laughs> you know it's just amazing how easily they uh malfunction when taxpayer dollars are going to pay for top dollar sure. body cams and like the money when uh somebody gets killed accidentally death by a cop uh, doesn't come out of their department's funding. It just comes out of the city's budget. Absolutely. So your tax dollars pay for every person, uh, they the families of every, to every person that they murder. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, if, of course, the murder is seen as unjust. Which leads me to my next thing. You know, yeah. this week the lawsuit settlement came down for the two people who were jailed for killing Malcolm X. And... That money is coming from New York City. Wow. And they've been in jail for what, like 40 years? <laughs> Since the <laughs> murder. 50 years. And so they uh, have been locked away, and there's credible evidence that they weren't involved in this. There are some documentaries about this as well. Sure, sure. There's a bunch of articles about it over the years. Um, they, they got locked up, and they just languished there, and now the settlement money is going to come from our tax dollars, where in reality... The FBI was the one who set that hit up. Yes. And so it should actually, somebody from the FBI should be still languishing in prison. And the money should come from the fucking FBI's budget or whatever. Or it should come out of their pockets equally. Every time they have to pay for something like this, 
It should reduce their salary collectively. Like, this is the cornball thing about uh, libs, uh, is that uh, as much as I don't like Donald Trump uh, personally as a human being, uh, I am not a fan of the FBI. And it's weird to, like, go to, like, an old libs house, like, a Democrat being like, we've got a, the FBI's on the case, you know? Yeah. Or, like, uh, we like the party, the political party that stands for the institutions. You know, we like the F Dude, the FBI was created uh, to, one, the, its first uh, task was to go after the Flores Magone brothers, who were Mexican revolution, anarcho-revolutionaries and journalists who uh, moved to Texas to help start the revolution against Porfirio Diaz. So Porfirio Diaz had been president of Mexico, dictator of Mexico for like 50 years. These journalists go up and they start sending back literature to um, Mexico to help f uh, foment the, uh, the struggle against this dude's autocratic state. And the United States government was not down with that because they were cool with, like, Mexican autocracy. Right. So they uh, set up the Bureau of Investigation to go after these dudes and to read their mail. So they were, like, basically confiscating uh, mail that was sent through the U.S. postal system to hunt down these journalists. Sure. And that was the first thing the FBI did. So, like, they, they started as a rotten organization. There's nothing cool or... Like, they're not heroes. And there was never a decree when they were, uh, you need to hunt down and neutralize anyone who is in the civil rights movement and gaining traction. <laughs> right. That decree was an actual fucking decree. Neutralize was a word. Yeah. And that word meant to discard of or to murder these people. And they were, okay, so they said the tactics should be harassment, intimidation, and final fucking solution could be neutralizing these people, which they did. Uh, in every respect. And then no one ever said, you know what, we were really fucked up for doing that. We're supposed to be looking into organized crime and or federal crimes. Um, instead, it just continued in the direction it continued in. And we know that they're a flawed organization and that they're just basically puppeteered by whoever is in power, right? But they have their own culture and they have their own issues. There is white supremacists within the FBI and they're supposed to be uh, they're supposed to be looking into white supremacy, and that's the one thing that they don't look into. Their yeah. resources have not... Every time one of these school shootings happens, I'm shocked to know that the feds have not been... Because these guns, a lot of the time, come from different states, too. Uh, it's like somebody getting a gun somewhere and then going and doing a crime elsewhere. How come these people are showing signs of this type of aggression and the potential for doing a mass shooting? And then the FBI is like, eh, I mean, they popped up on the radar. Like, <laughs> we, like, how are we going to follow up on all that? We don't have enough people and whatever. But then they lock up Muslim people. I mean, we have a clip about this. They were talking about it on stage, and it actually did really well on Instagram. But the reality is, growing up, uh, the FBI was singularly focused on enemy number one, which is the Muslim American population. And they were dedicating, I would gather, at least like 80% of their resources going after that. And then there was obviously organized crime, right? That was the other thing they were going after. And it was specifically like the mafia. And so I feel like there were a lot of other people doing dirt <laughs> at that time. And they were slipping through the cracks. But like, just like you said, uh, rotten from the onset, uh, actually created not to help the average man. And agree with you wholeheartedly about how libs uh, pontificate on how, like, they're going to be the thing to bring down Trump. Like, get the fuck out of here. It's <laughs> yeah, so dude. stupid. I'm not, like, siding with one uh, demon um, to, like... Yes. Yeah, agree. just because uh, I don't like this one politician. Yeah. Uh, like, you're all pick, fucking crooked murderers. You get to pick your sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> it's like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> It's like Mortal Kombat. You're like, am I picking Goro or Baraka for my sleep paralysis demon? Yeah, man. Yeah, they're all garbage. Libbies want to believe in the establishment, though. That's the thesis, for real. Yeah. They want. It's not like they're anti-establishment. They desperately want and need it. They want to believe in it. So they were like, just feed me some fucking sugar-covered cereal about how the establishment can do good things or is filled with, you know, a generally speaking, good amount of 
good people and a good amount of good people. Yeah, they're not. They're not even mad. They're not mad at the Republicans. They're not mad at Donald Trump. At they're mad at that Donald Trump upset the uh, the way that elections were handled. They're yeah. mad at the way that he disrupted things in uh, 2016. But like, because he's like an individual, basically, who kind of bucked all of the collective like lies and norms. Yes. The and, and the standard operating procedure. Yes. So like, what they're pissed off about is someone finding, I mean, don't get me wrong and take this out of context. He's a piece of shit and, you know, how I stand on him. But yeah. But one thing is for sure, he just went, oh, you're not allowed to do that? Who said that? And they're like, well, no one in their right mind would do that. And he's like, I'm, I'm not in my right mind and I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah. I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. And then if I if someone has a problem with it, come after me. I'll tie you up forever in like legal shit. And I'll stack the cards against you. Like. Sure. And he should be, he should have, like, if we lived in a fair system, uh, he would have gone to jail uh, 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, one example would, would be, like, when he was uh, hired a construction company that used a bunch of uh, Polish immigrants to work at that construction agency. And after this, uh, they finished building the buildings for him. He just said, you know what, uh, what we agreed on me paying you, I'm not going to pay you that. I'm going to pay you a lot less. When uh, the company like pushed back, he said, cool, well, I'll just get your whole crew deported. Yeah. So right there, that's somebody going back, like uh, reneging on like, you know, just standard business norms that you that are required to keep a economic system functioning. Yeah, and he and, did this on a number of occasions. And then like terrorizing uh, workers with the threat of deporting them. That is, like, the thing that I think is, like, why did he get any further after that moment? And when we think about, like, politicians being, you know, scoundrels and, like, slimy little snails, look at, like, Ted Cruz is equally as bad, but for whatever reason, I'd say Dems would be much more, like, okay with him because he just seems like an establishment character. But when um, Texas was going through, like, massive... Uh, power outages and like grandmas are freezing to death in their houses. This dude is like in Mexico with his family. <laughs> no. Escaped to warmer climes. They should have never let his ass in. They should have sent his <laughs> ass back and been like, hey, that's weird. Do you want to come here? Yeah. Or like somebody smart should have put like a couple kilos in his luggage <laughs> on his way back over the border and. <laughs> And got him, you know, uh, yoked up. Where's the FBI then? We need you guys to set up dudes like Ted. Yeah. Well, it's it sucks, but it's a reality. And that's what we're facing right now is when you, if an organization can have a, a bunch of white power people in it, an organization like the FBI, you can't trust anyone then, right? And that's sort of how uh, people win. Uh, Vladimir Putin, for example... His whole thing was, I'm going to fund my opposition groups and then prove that I funded them so that no one in those opposition groups trusts each other. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to shut them down. I'm just yeah. going to get everyone to fragment and fall apart because no one knows what's going on and what's happening and who's doing what. I'll never let them get the drop on me. And the same thing exists here where... Um, we're realizing that all the people that everyone thinks are supposed to do their job and help us and prevent us from these types of things happening are either asleep at the wheel or they're in on the fucking heist. This is a positive energy for you on this sunny day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, take your recreational Adderall, get super paranoid. Yes. <laughs> right when the right when the tides turn on the Adderall and you're coming down, your life begins to unravel, pop this episode on. Yo, I had fun today, though, man. I, I hung out with kids earlier today. I was teaching American, the American Revolution to a bunch of uh, third and fourth graders. And I do all the act-outs, dude. I'm like Lin-Manuel Miranda in that classroom. <laughs> I jump up, I hop up on one side, and I'm like, I'm King George. I, I taught that today. And then I talked about the Lenape in another class. And I gave these kids little moccasins to hold. And uh, they couldn't believe that little kids wore moccasins on the island of Manhattan. In 1519. And I was like, yeah, man. These were like the Nike Uptowns. Hell yeah, they were. Of the 1500s. That got one of the teachers laughing. I mean, to be completely honest with you, they 
knew what the fuck they were doing because they were surviving. Yeah. So those moccasins probably had to be pretty jiggy because the terrain was a lot rougher. Dude, I bum my kids out every class. Because, like, we talk about all the Lenape um, items that they use, and I was like, if you needed a snack, here's, like, a bola with, with uh, like, a bola with uh, three stones. You just had to, like, you know, swing it, hit a pigeon. The pigeon would drop. That was lunch. Yeah. And uh, what do you I'm have like to do five. now? And they're like, oh, we got to have jobs. And I was like, yeah, doesn't that suck? Oh, we got to have jobs and go eat at McDonald's. And I'm like, yeah, man. And what is eating too much McDonald's would get you? And they're like, diabetes. And I was like, exactly. Back in the day, you just like yeah. kill a white-tailed deer, skin it, make moccasins. Yeah, you gotta try to get diabetes. You back gotta then. try to get it back then. Back then, yeah, people people lived a little bit healthier. <laughs> How would you get diabetes back then? Too many berries. Literally, <laughs> and then you you still can't forage enough berries to get sure. diabetes. Yeah, you're like, god damn it, they're going bad. I I have to fucking turn this shit into. <laughs> Non-hydrogenated corn oil or something. Yeah, too. and you're moving all the time. Like, you never sit still back then. Right, right. So you're so, like, I live on the Upper East Side in fall, but in the winter time, it, you know, you're just moving about. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm trying to turn the kids, whenever we do the Lenape uh, lesson, into uh, anarcho-hunter-gatherer-foragers. Uh, yeah. You know, I want them to see the benefit of that, of making your own tools as well. You know, I show them, like, a pen from today, and uh, we go through, like, what does this pen tell us about life in 2022? And we, and, you know, since it wasn't, like, pulled from a branch in uh, Central Park and carved, since it was made in a factory, and there's millions of pens just like this, uh, they conclude that, man, Mr. Pacheco, that's a lot of pollution. And I was like, yeah, bro, it's a it wrap. Is. It's a wrap for us. Unless hey, like, you can find this. <laughs> Pacific trash gyre, which we'll get into soon. I didn't even bring that up. This little girl in the class was like, yo, so those all end up in the ocean, right? And I was like, bingo. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got to go back to quills. If you take that bola and you hit a pigeon out of the air and you eat the pigeon, you can take the little feathers, dip it in some, quills. in some berry juice and write your poem. Or if you're savage like badass, you could... Uh, dip it in the, the blood of, um, pigeon blood. Yeah, pigeon yeah. blood. Uh, they're pretty open to what you're teaching them instead of being <laughs> checked out and fucking <laughs> using Snapchat or something and no. smoking a vape. Yeah, third and fourth graders, uh, they don't they don't smoke vapes. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they would if you made them the right flavors. Like if you had like a cotton candy. Yeah. Jewel. <laughs> uh, these are this jewel is Dunkaroos flavored. <laughs> yeah, and fruit by the foot is coming next week. I think the only flavor they wouldn't like is candy corn because no one likes candy corn. Yeah, nobody fucks with candy corn. Yeah, or like Werther's original. Imagine a Werther's original uh, vape flavor. I'm not gonna lie, I had a Werther's original recently. Oh uh, what? Felt, yeah, I feel like I got like old a vape enough. pen or like a like actual, <laughs> no, actual Werther's. I didn't have a vape kind of Werther's original, but that you were really onto something with that shit, dude. Yeah. I'm telling you, I never really fucked with them, and then I had one at my father-in-law's house, and I was like, damn, these are actually so good. Yo, so your father-in-law just eats old people candy. He has it in, like, dishes in the house. He doesn't, I've never seen him eating any of that candy, but, um, yeah, it's like Wilford Brimley style, where... It's like you hit a certain age, you're retired, you have to just collect random hard candies, and it, you know, maybe it's not your favorite Yeah. hard candy, but you're collecting that shit going down. Yeah, I like the idea that he just gives Riz and Noor, like, uh, black licorice whenever they come over. So gross! Just <laughs> 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 And have uh, them eat it from end to end, like Lady in the Tramp style. <laughs> Bro, my when I was a kid, my dad, some we went somewhere and they were like, Do you wanna try this black licorice? And we tried it. My dad spit it out so fast. He was disgusted. Wow. And to this very day, if you mention the word black licorice, he was like, it tastes like sewer. Did he do this in like front of guests? 
Uh, we were at a, a candy store or something where they offered this sample. Yeah. And he was like, of course they're offering this disgusting sample. It's <laughs> fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to taste like um, fennel, right? Or anise. Ooh, or like a fennel and anise? Yeah. Like a C-tier spices? Yeah, but I don't. I think it tastes like garbage. I never fuck with it. I won't play with that. Licorice itself is a muted candy. Yeah. Now I want to think about. I know we wanted to talk about weddings. Oh hell yeah! And I just thought about like candies that you could present at a wedding. (laughs) What would be a bad omen candy? Charles and Jim. (laughs) Here's your present: a massive Charles and Jim. (laughs) Everybody, look under your seats. Everyone look under your seats. It's those root beer candies that when you you suck them enough, the they rip your tongue open. Like yeah, they get drier and drier. <laughs> they turn into like broken glass. Yeah. When I was younger, before I met my wife, obviously. Sure. Uh, my wife days. Yeah, this is mid twenties, post college. My parents thought I was such a fucking loser, and they were just horrified by my prospects. And uh, mm-hmm. my mom got on this trip where she was like, he's got to have an arranged marriage because they really thought that I was just going to find someone who was awful and then come home with them, you know, and be like, hey, this is a uh, candy. We met at a, uh, this was the early, <laughs> o- this was the early odds. This is, hey, mom and dad, this is champagne. We sure. met at um, a nightclub. Anyways, Low rise they, they thought I was, yeah, they thought like I was going to come through. Whale tails. Whale tails. Always, they always had a cup of Duncan on them, and they said things like, Wicked, kid. Yes. Your son the, is wicked. The eyebrow ring, will tell, all that. So they were so spooked by it. Because these were, were all like, Boston, homegrown Boston girls. Right. They were bringing back home. Like an orange soda mustache. And yeah. um, so my parents were really horrified about who I would bring home. So they started just going on the offensive, and they were like, you need to have an arranged marriage. And obviously right now there's... Um, the Indian Ranch Marriage Show, but, but how many girls did you date with Dropkick Murphy tattoos? No, I actually never was into chicks like that. You know, I was like, I was into the more posh like ladies. Okay. Um, I was also just like so posh spice fooling about. You know, I wasn't really into relationships back then. Sure. Um, I was really just trying to get it in, mm-hmm. and so that was the other thing that was interesting about this was uh, I wasn't the kind of person to bring anyone home to my parents because one. They're so traditional at this point that they were anti-dating, and two, wow, that yeah, they just didn't believe in. How it. did they believe in meeting people if it was uh, anti-dating? Was were they really into uh, message board relationships? Dude, they were into the idea of ranch marriage for that very reason, right? Because well, here's how you'll meet someone: we'll already or make sure that they're compatible with our family and whatever, uh, in advance of you even meeting this person. So really, it just then comes down to you acquiescing and giving up on yourself and being like, all right, fine, I'll marry this random. And uh, But yeah, otherwise, they were not like trying to encourage me to go out and meet women and what have you. I did bring home one girl uh, who I had been like seriously dating, and uh, she did all the wrong things on the first meet with my folks. I love that. Like, what's an example? No, it was, they were so conservative at this point where... I was like, look, when you meet my parents, don't hug my dad. Just, like, shake his hand or whatever. Like, and she kissed him on both she, cheeks. She, like, <laughs> she like jumped up and hugged him. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And he was like, dad, this is, like, black licorice, but human form. Yeah, he actually didn't really react, like, very much. But after it, they just, I could tell that they were concerned they didn't really know what her deal was. She was on mostly her best behavior. But she would also, like, drop crazy hints. Like, she'd be like, I'd be like, also, don't talk about the fact that you, like, stay at my house all the time and, like, we sleep together and all this stuff. These are things that my parents aren't, like, really into, you know? Yeah. And she was like, ugh, he always, like, wakes up in the middle of the night and, like, wakes me up. And I'm just like, why would you say that in, at our dinner time conversation? Yeah. Now they know that we fucking stuff and are sleeping. And your parents are just trying to eat their paneer in peace. And she's <laughs> over here just talking about how you all steady pump smash on the reg. <laughs> and now their thought bubbles over their head that instead of being filled with delicious treats, they're yeah. filled with like images of you like just hunched over <laughs> this woman who like shows up at your house and starts hugging your dad too. <laughs> so a wanton woman. 
Yeah, so my parents were like... With weird tentacle limbs. Yeah, they're just... They were not feeling it. So this was after that, right? They were like... We broke up, and then my mom saw an opportunity to be like, oh, fuck, this is great. Like, he's in a miserable place. He's very insecure. Yes. What have you. Like disaster capitalism. Your mom has read Naomi Klein. Yeah. And she's like, this is the moment (laughs) to capitalize on Samir's personal relationship 9-11. Basically. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. And so, anyhow, they tried to introduce me to these people, and uh, they were all whack as fuck. No, none of the same interests, nothing. At this point, I was a DJ. Some of the listeners probably remember I had the very popular, um, you know, monthly DJ night in Boston, and it was, like, always sold out, and that was really what I did back then, yeah. Yes. And so, I was a Mr. Nightlife, and, you know, I had a pretty outrageous life and was kind of a party animal. And then they introduced me to this religious Muslim girl who tells me straight up, first time we talk. Uh, oh, also, by the way, we talk on the phone only. We have not met. I saw one picture of her. Yes. And I was instantly not attracted. And I'm certain vice versa. Like, she probably wasn't into me. And um, yeah, so I told my mom, listen, I don't want to talk to this person. I'm not attracted to them. So case closed. And my mom's like, that's so messed up. Like, you have to talk to them. We already said that you would. It makes our family look bad if you don't, and you just have to do it. My mom is wishfully thinking that I would be like, you know, whatever, in line with this whole thing. She's fun. the queen of wishful thinking. Sure is. And so uh, I remember that the king of wishful thinking song from um, Blank Chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so someone's going to pick up on that. So yeah, so she's the queen of wishful thinking, wants me to acquiesce and do this. I refuse to do yeah. it. I want to talk to this girl. She tells me straight up. I don't like music. I'm like, you don't like any music? She's like, no, I'm not really interested in it. And I'm like, that means you're a fucking robot. Like, you at least like something that has, that makes noise. I dated a girl once for like two minutes and she said she hated comedy. She didn't like comedy at all. Never watched it or anything. And I could not understand. It was like her telling me she was colorblind. (laughs) Yeah. An emotion. And it's insane. Yeah, it's an insane thing to and say. And I was like, "What's your favorite movie, though?" And she said, "Hook." And I was like, "I hate that movie." So that was, like the, end. <laughs> that was the end right there. It was like a double head, double tap headshot. Like, you just pictured her watching Hook all every time she watched a movie. And then I tried. I watched. I sat on the couch. I watched Hook with her, thinking that we'd make out. And uh, like halfway through the movie, I got so limp, I just had to leave. Yeah, you made a good decision. Yeah, dude. I mean, that movie, I did enjoy it, I'm not going to lie, but... Some people like Hook, but... Yeah, but for wrong. that to be your favorite fucking movie, you were in Casino, god damn it, your favorite movie is Hook? Yeah, boo. So your girl, she couldn't read, uh, I mean, sorry, she couldn't, couldn't listen to music. Listen to music, I don't like music, and I'm like, hey, that's a deal breaker for me, I can't even fathom that you don't know or like music. And you're that. a DJ. I'm a DJ, and I tell her, and she goes, well, I hope you don't DJ during Ramadan, because that's just extra haram, and I was like... What? <laughs> I was like, uh, no, I do be doing that, and, uh... Was the prophet, like, no sublime during Ramadan? Oh, no. <laughs> no sublime. <laughs> listen, you can listen to rap, but none of this white people shit. Yeah, and you're like, is rap... And then you could be like, well, actually, technically, according to some exports, rap isn't music, so I can listen to it. Or <laughs> Like, oh, I thought you said heavy metal wasn't music, so I guess I could listen to it. That's hilarious. Winger, all Ramadan. <laughs> Winger. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dead. Uh, hey, listen, some people say that rap's not music, so... Uh, but yeah, that's the kind of vibes people would be trying to do in, in Islam, too. Like, um, religious people who still want to enjoy stuff will find like weird loopholes. They're like, look, there's no guitar, so there's no stringed instruments in it. It's technically the beats are being made electronically as well. Percussion is permitted as well as vocals. So yeah. rap is okay. Yeah. Okay. They're talking about fucking big booty bitches. <laughs> yes. So uh, a lot of legal. Um, uh, Mumbo jumbo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How are you gonna cheat the system? Some yeah? pretzel like logic. Yeah. So the end of the is I I told my mom I'm not doing this. I made myself as unappealing to this person as possible. And then my mom was just so pissed. Um, you made us look bad. Uh, and I was like, hey, I'm going to continue to make you look bad, you know, all over town if you don't fucking back off. Mm-hmm. And then I just had to fight the good fight for a few years. She would always try and put the heat and pressure on me. But it was weird, right? Because there are people 
who are weak-willed and very timid and just give in, in the Indian Muslim community especially, that some of whom I grew up with, who, of course, they didn't want to have any of this shit happen. I don't want an arranged marriage. I don't want to do whatever the fuck stupid job they do. But their parents begin, you know, early childhood development in my community. A lot of times, parents were insanely oppressively controlling, but also use guilt as a control mechanism, right, from day one. So when you can begin to understand, they would just imbue you with, well, uh, you know, if you don't do what we say, it's going to make our family look bad. Look at all the sacrifices that we've made for you. Yes, exactly. And, like, you know, our family honor is everything. Like, how could you make us look bad? What will people think? Hasan Minaj did his whole thing about uh, means what will people think. That's a real thing. Every family that I knew growing up would say that if they spoke our language, they would say that to kids. Like, hey, what are people going to think if they see you do this, if they see you do that? If you don't make it to the top of the class, they're going to think, our family's shit. We haven't made it here, right? So they try and use that guilt on me. But I just snapped at one point and was like, yeah. sorry, it doesn't work anymore. And that's the problem with that shit, right? That kind of control and that kind of behavior only means that one day you're going to try and push someone past their limit. Then they're going to get the first taste of like, wait a minute. I defied my parents and nothing happened. It's like Rumspringa. Yes. You go like, I don't have to get an arranged marriage. I can do what I want for a living too. Right. You know what I mean? I can do I can do anything I want. <laughs> yeah, like, now I worship Satan. <laughs> <laughs> for all you Indian parents out there, better watch yourself. Your kids are gonna worship the devil if you're not careful. Sure. Now I know you know the the devil exists in Islam, but like in for for Hindu culture, is there like a um, do you know if there's like an antecedent to like Satan, or if there is even like a binary like good and evil? I I, I would be mansplaining if I said this because I don't <laughs> know for certain. I do know that yeah. karmically, right? If you do something bad, that's supposed to come back to you, and that's I think the check and balance. Yeah. Versus like the devil exists. Therefore, evil exists. You can blame being influenced by the devil. It's just the concept of, let me avoid doing something that's regarded as sinful. And the temptation itself is like the devil. Mm. Where it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like in Ramadan, they say the devil is locked up for the whole month of Ramadan. He's chained up. Wow. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so like, I picture it like midnight when Ramadan starts. It's like, Oh, the devil's chained up now, and then Dude, it's like, so motherfucker, just leave his ass in chains. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, why are you letting this fool out? Like, yeah, I'd be bummed if I were the devil. Like, first day of Ramadan, you wake up and you're like, you you fell asleep in like a king size bed, you know? <laughs> and then you'd Satan. You wake up the next day and you're like, what? Oh man, my my ankles are itchy. And then you pull off the sheets like Godfather style. And there's shackles. <laughs> Instead of a horse head, you're shackled. And you're like, what the fuck? Now I'm trapped. Yeah, and there's like, no, you can't listen to music because it's haram. Yeah. You know? And it's like, bro, if God has done this to you every Ramadan. There's been like 1,500 of them. You can't tempt anybody. Yeah. You know, you can't possess uh, teenage girls. Right. Like in The Exorcist. Exactly. I don't know what else the devil does. I feel like that's all oh, bullshit. It's, yeah, I mean. Possessing well, teenagers. Yeah. Just getting people, supposedly getting people to do, like, bad shit. I think it's people want to do the bad stuff. Sure. Because people still do it during Ramadan. And that's why they do that. They go, well, the devil's trained up, so, like, is this just you being generally a bad person? You have no one to blame. And so you, know, you have no one to blame in general. You're a garbage person. <laughs> I think Americans have, like, a secular, there's, like, a secular Ramadan, which is, like, no nut November. <laughs>
Like, why is this month so calm and relaxed? Well, yo, I I want I want to ask you this though. So I dodged the bullet of an arranged marriage, right? And I lucked out. I got to do all types of demented sexual things, you know, um, for years to come. And then I got married and stuff, and still am allowed to do like demented, demented sexual things. Yeah, and it's great. It's a win for everyone. And but you're you sort of dodged a bullet too. I dodged a bullet because I uh, didn't know that it was it was okay to be um, like a lifelong bachelor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there is there is this like pressure to either a get married or b um, in any relationship that feels like normative or normal. There's always that question of like, where is this going? What's happening next? Right. And as a guy, I'm sure, I don't know, I'm going to say as a guy because I can only speak for myself, but I can say that throughout dating in my 20s, there was always this turbulence, this feeling that there was a termination date to every uh, relationship, like an expiration date, because there would be this like, well, where's this going? It's got to end up with like a mar- marriage, even if I didn't want it. You know, I might say, uh, it's, I haven't thought about it too much. And maybe the woman I was dating would be like, would also be like, well, I'm not there yet. But in the back of so many of my uh, relationships' minds was this idea that that is the end goal, is that I want to get married and maybe I want to have kids. And the older I've gotten, I wish that I'd clarified that in my 20s. I wish that I'd known in my 20s that I, A, don't want to get married and B, I don't want to have children. And those, for me are like, you know, that would have been coming out, right? right? Because I was living closeted in this idea that, well, maybe I want those things, or maybe they're not that bad, or maybe I'll do them if it makes my partner happy, and it's just something that I'm supposed to go along with, to like, in the way that an arranged marriage would be something that you just go along with. Yes. And uh, so I like actually was engaged once, I was engaged once. Because I thought that it would make everything, everything would get better, like, once, uh, once that happened. Any, like, here's an example of, uh, I love going on trips, and obviously, if you've listened to Halal Cartels, you know that we live flamboyant, finesse lifestyles, where we're out here traveling the world. Now, if I was dating somebody, I remember one time, I went to Cartagena, and I was with my partner in Cartagena for New Year's. And we're on the seawall, and there are fireworks over our heads. And we spent the whole day having magical times in Cartagena. We were, like, on speedboats, uh, eating lobsters, just lit, like, at a salsa bar, drinking rum, having the best time. And then, at the end of that night, I thought, this is a peak experience. I am so in love with you. I'm so glad we did this. The next, like, a week later, we get in a fight. And she, it turns to me and she's like, I thought you were going to, I've been mad at you since that night in Cartagena because I thought you were going to propose to me. And after that, I was like, oh, cool. So can I not? It's like wrong to take uh, your partner um, to go do fun things if they're always expecting um, that you're going to propose to them. Yeah, it's a very (laughs) odd idea. Right? So like, oh, cool. So I can never take you to the top of a map. Like. Uh, in my head, <laughs> you have to practice it. Yeah, I was just thinking. Like, yeah, I went to the extreme, but, right? Uh, you know, and this might be my own thing where I like catastrophizing, but it's like, oh, okay, cool. So that means I can never take a date to like the top of a mountain. I can never take a date to the top of a pyramid. I can never have like a really fun experience with you in a cool environment that's romantic if your expectation is that a ring is going to come at the end. It's absolutely true. And so that limits, I think, a lot of people being able to take romantic partners uh, like to to have fun adventures because the adventure becomes, within the relationship context, um, oh, that leveled us up to this next uh, plateau in our relationship. Does this mean that we're more serious? Yeah. Rather than it just be like, Hey, man, we did a really cool thing. I did a really cool thing with somebody I love. Right, and the, it's just odd, too, to have to preface it every time. Like, hey, we're <laughs> going to go to this thing. Well, you know. Yeah, you're going to meet my family, but, like... Well, not in, you guys <laughs> going to marry me at that thing. 
Yeah, it's not that big a deal. Right. Right. I mean, there's also just the fact that, like, what you said was really interesting to me about, like, if you had said this in your 20s, it would be, like, coming out. Because um, I think there is a level where you have to, that you have to get to where you realize it really isn't for you. Because it's, like, a decision that you make that inevitably, well, for dudes, maybe not so much, right? Because, like, someone could later on in life be, like, I don't know what it was. I was, like, struck by lightning and, like, now I want to have a family... Yes. Uh, like, whatever. I mean, you could be technically a family with, like, chosen family or whatever it means. But I want to have this, like, trad family vibe go on. I want to have, like, a kid or something. Then, like, if your nut is still potent, which for many people it is even still, yeah. then, like, you could do that. But, like, a, like I'm saying, you know, where you're at in your life right now, I think it takes a certain journey to get there to be, like, confident to say it. Yeah, but then know, I feel like it must be freeing because you're like, well, never have to worry about that. You know? I don't have to worry about that. Like it immediately uh, sorts through um, people when I meet them and limits and puts boundaries up to like what type of a relationship we can have, like be it a friendship, be it a romantic in- in- entanglement. Um, it makes my That's like current, yeah, dude. It makes my current situation. So much more lovely. Like, I have so much fun with my partner right now traveling the world, and uh, we can meet each other's families, and I can, and I don't feel uh, this. We never fight over the future. Right. Because there's never a, when will you grow up? When will you take responsibility for, like, some nonsense where people are imposing upon uh, you. Their weird expectations for where they want their life to go. Yeah, man. I'm not responsible for anyone else's life and like its trajectory if you want to have kids then fucking get pregnant and have kids it's not on me right like that and that's not the case for others like you know i respect people who want to be together and like kind of have a corporation a two-person corporation and have children and build a life and have a family like you know we can do this podcast it's not like a civil war thing happening here but it is also it's just like uh, acknowledging that there are like a variety of different ways that that we could live I'm standing for the uh, lifelong bachelor. I'm with it. You know? I'm here for it. And I'm so happy that I didn't get married. One of the best things that happened was, like, having an engagement break off from it. Because it made, it gave me so much more freedom. And that was my break from the, um, from almost like the arranged marriage conversation that you had earlier. Yeah. You know? That was like... Literally. And so in two completely different ways, though, we experienced that grace and that luck, right? Yes. Because while I'm married and like you never intend on getting married, both of us could have gotten stuck in fucking shitty situations. You could have married a woman that hated listening to you play Sublime and gotten mad. <laughs> mad. And what would I do? There would be no music ever in my home. <laughs> <laughs> and what if every Ramadan she was like, Samir, I don't know, Samir, no 311 for the whole month. <laughs> And I'm like, fuck! It kind of like ripped down my 311 posters. <laughs> Basically, the wallpaper of my house just has yeah. to be completely. Some of Satan is chained up for the whole month, so he cannot listen to 311. It's too much. Ramadan is no not Ramadan for some people. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, man. Where? One day, maybe it'll be in November. Then you can grow my sack. No crazy town, Samir. <laughs> no, come, come, my lady. <laughs> Crazy dad, man. I should be paying them royalties right now. No matter I sing sing that song at my house. (laughs) Like, ASCAP comes to my door. Like, knock on the door. You owe us $30,000 for Come Come My Lady by Crazy Dad. I wish we could just splice that into the end of this episode, too, Mm -hmm. as the exit music. Just like the sample from the Chili Peppers. Yeah, both of them get cream on cream. <laughs> yeah. they, get, they both get paid off this. Yeah, what a All right, well, shit, we did it. Hey, what man. a great episode! Thank you for listening to another episode of Halal Cartels. You know what to do. Please smash uh, the five star. Leave reviews on Apple Pod. We love reviews on Apple Pod. Go into your voice notes and just auto dictate a review, and then copy and paste that into Apple Music on yeah. your phone. Yeah, Apple Apple Pods, yeah. Yes. And um, yeah, and just share this with your friends. 
the audience is growing. We're really excited, and we're growing as a podcast. You're going to see some really fun, cool changes. Not the programming is going to be what you love, but we're going to be a little bit more um, out there, you know, and fucking people are going to be seeing more of us. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, we appreciate all your support from all over the world, listeners from everywhere. Uh, we love you. Shout outs to Swaziland. Shout- <laughs> oh, shout, shout outs to, to South Sudan. Uh, and this, I'm realizing that these listeners might just be the intelligence community that listens sure. to us. They're just like, like I'm listening from Swaziland. Now I'm listening from Sudan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, shout out to the CIA and the FBI. Um, stay off our shit. Uh, don't, because I'm not trying to lose listeners. And uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, everybody, get out there and vote. Yeah. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>